I'm not governed by the fear of what other people say. You've got to open your heart. Well, number one, he's one of the elite offensive players in the game. What is leadership like in today's football world? Hello and welcome to another edition of Not Another Philly Sports Talk Show, your Philadelphia podcast featuring myself, David Murphy, Daily News columnist, and on the line from Clearwater, Mr. Michael Sielski of the Philadelphia Inquirer. Mike, can you hear me down there? Murph, what's happening? Not much. What's I'm the a weather? Hard time hearing you through the sun. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know what's funny? I I was in Clearwater. For those of you who actually read what I write, no, I was in Clearwater for a couple of weeks, and I just got back on Friday. And the thing about traveling to Florida, this was my 10th spring training, I believe. Uh, and the thing about spring training is by the end of it, you forget that you had a winter coat to begin it. And you kind of have to like game plan how you're going to dress while traveling back from Florida to the north. Yeah, so, you, you know, you search around your you search on your hotel room. You, you, uh, you know, dressing in layers is kind of the key. Uh, you know, you go T-shirt, maybe like a... Uh, you know, button down, then a hoodie, and then you have your jacket. So you can kind of add layers as you need them. So on Friday, I'm planning my trip home. Yeah, I was stayed at the Residence Inn, um, which is a little mm-hmm. bit, a little bit of ways from where you're at, Mike. But yep. I find my jacket. Uh, you know, I find my sweatshirt. I'm laying my clothes out for the next day for the flight. And then I think to myself, ah, I should check the weather and see see what the weather is. Well, lo and behold, it's two degrees warmer in Philadelphia than it was <laughs> in Clearwater. So yeah, yeah. That, that I had the I had the reverse. I had uh, I started at Pittsburgh for that uh, Flyers Penguins game on Saturday. So I I went from 75 degrees in Pittsburgh to uh, just absolutely frozen Saturday in Pittsburgh. And I had left my coat in my car at the airport. So I had uh, I had taken Uber to Target so I could get myself a sweatshirt. <laughs> and then uh, wow. uh, came over here on Sunday. Came down here on Sunday and have been in uh, you know polos and t-shirts ever since i'm pretty so, sure the uh, only other people who ever take ubers to target have a drug addiction of some sort yeah i would, I would be willing to bet that i would be willing to bet that well but, we're uh, we're actually going to talk about sports uh we'll talk about we're going to save the phillies for last because at this point in time uh they're not exactly relevant we've already no, they're not generating a whole lot of interest you're you're actually heading down there at the exact worst time in spring training because uh now again i know you've never done the whole thing i used to do the whole thing mm-hmm. until the last couple of years and there's just kind of these – there's these windows where, you know, at first you're excited to get down there because you're getting out of the winter, um, and there's a ton of stories. And so you, like, spend three or four days writing all these stories, trying to figure out which story you're going to write which day, uh, you know, Ryan Howard or Chase Utley or Cole Hamley, you know, all, all that stuff. And then all of a sudden you're looking around the clubhouse, and you can't find anybody relevant to write about because you've yeah. already written about everybody. <laughs> and at that point in time you start, like, just – can't wait for the grapefruit league to start and then we'll at least have that and then after that you can't wait for like the first roster cut and then after that you can you know so you're you're yeah. you're in the scott kingery territory as we saw today. yeah I'm, I'm minding the young kids i did a roman quinn on monday i did scott kingery yesterday i got a, i'm doing a mickey moniac today who uh sat down for an interview with some of the scribes so uh yeah but let's let's get to the sixers and the eagles first we can save the philly stuff for later before everybody you know so that turns uh you know turns their podcast app onto uh this american life or something yeah, I, I think it might be too late to, too late for that. Um, <laughs> so Sixers, this all blew up. Sixers. This actually all blew up while I was sitting in the press box at uh, 
what it's, what's it called now? Spectrum Field. Spectrum Field, yes. And you wrote a very stride, strident, stringent, strident, pointed, pointed, pointed I'd say, pointed uh, column about Brian Colangelo in the aftermath. And I was wondering if you could translate that column for the podcast audience and and give me your impression of what went down and what it says about where the sixes are now versus where they should be now and where they are going to be in the future versus where they should be in the future. Yeah. Well, I mean, look, my feeling is my feeling all along was, uh, and we've again discussed this, that it was bad for Colangelo to show his hand. You know, we got into this last week a little bit where, where my feeling is that Colangelo is kind of the inverse Sam Hinkie, whereas, you know, Hinkie didn't reveal anything about the, the day-to-day, you know, attempts he made to improve the team. Um, you always knew the long-term vision that, you know, we're trying to be great and we might swing and miss, but at least we're trying to be great. Colangelo seems to me the opposite, where now there are questions about, okay, what, what exactly is the long-term plan here? Like, how are they, um, you know, how, how are they, what are they pointed towards? Um, is it this season? Were they trying to improve this season or what? Um, you know, is it next season? You know, how, how soon is this going to happen? But by the same token, you learn everything about the, you know, everything about their attempts to trade Julio Okafor and Nerlens Noel kind of as they're happening. So my feeling was um, after they dealt Nerlens Noel last week that what's happening here really this season anyway is that they're tanking now. They're just tanking on Brian Colangelo's terms. Um, and I'm not sure that was the plan initially. Um, you know, the way they'd started to pick up some wins with Joel Embiid uh, and Dario Saric improving um, and things seeming to work. Um, you know, Brett Brown had some continuity in the lineup there and then everything was looking better, and at least from the standpoint of winning more games. And then they get the news, you know, Embiid gets hurt and they kind of string everybody along about the injury and they get the news about Ben Simmons and kind of string everybody along about that, um, or at least they're not going to tell anybody about that. And, you know, you're left with dealing Noel at the deadline, which, you know, I see I see arguments for it and I see arguments against it. Um, you know, my feeling was that the trade wasn't very good, uh, that you didn't get market value for what you could have gotten for Noel had you dealt him earlier or had you played the, the your cards differently, I guess. So, um, you know, I think I think my feeling is now, like, Colangelo's got to take a step backward and just kind of say, you know, what's going on here? How did I get to this point where people don't trust, A, what I'm saying, and B, the moves I'm making? Well, let's let's start um, with the let's start with the Noel thing, and then you can continue on the the meta yeah. Brian Colangelo after that because I happen to disagree with you on the Noel thing. Uh, I just don't see an argument for keeping him, assuming he's going to be in line for the kind of contract that we think he's going to be in line for. I, I just don't see the argument for giving that kind of money to that kind of guy given the construction of this team at this point. So get, so you give me the argument for the reverse. Okay, help me, help, me, under, help me understand. Okay, so the argument for the reverse is, number one, you're still, uh, given the knee injuries now to Embiid, you're still unsure about him. So if you was, I'm not sure that you can assume that you're going to give him a max contract just yet. Yeah, you have to prepare for that possibility, but you're not 100% certain of that just yet. All right. Well, uh, let's start there. What is your certain? What do you think? Because that's what this is all about. This argument is all contingent upon what do you think it's going to take to re-sign Nerlens Noel. So, so what are we? What's what's your 
What is in your what not dollar figures in your head as you lay out this argument? Uh, you're looking at what? Like, I guess the numbers that had gotten thrown around were what four years, seventy million, somewhere around yeah. there. Is yeah. that fair? Yeah, that's that's what uh, Timothy Mozgov signed for, I think. Um, hang, I'll have to. I'll have to. Mm-hmm. I read something on it, and I looked up a, a bunch of guys. Yeah. But but yeah, okay, so essentially let's, four let's years, seven, four years, seventy million. Right. Um, now you're far enough under the cap that at least for the first year, initially. You right, but this be is okay. a four-year. But this is a four-year deal. Yeah, it is a four-year deal. Well, why are you then precluded from trading Noel? If you it, it, after that, once you sign him, well, you I mean, so you, you think trade anybody, you think you'll right? get more for him when he has a four-year seventy when he, when you're trading a four-year seventy million dollar deal. I think you can make anything happen in the NBA. I think given that no Sam Hinkie Sam Hinkie can make anything happen in the NBA. Brian Colangelo, well, you can you could you could you could move that you could move Noel after you signed him for that money and. Given what they got for him, I'm not sure how much less, if anything less, they might have gotten for him. I wonder if that's, that's you know, I'm, I mean, given given what Colangelo in a way had done to the market, given that he had not moved on Noel or Okafor earlier, and given that he had told everybody that he was going to have to move, like, he, you know, he was talking about moving Noel and or Okafor before we knew what Joel Embiid could do and would do. Um, when he when he was even more of a question than he is now, so if you didn't move the men when he had when they had more value, um, you know the va- the value's already declined as it is. But that so, But that's that's a separate argument. I mean, you can't you can't make current economic decisions based on past economic mistakes. You have to deal with the market as it is. And I just don't, I don't I don't think. I mean, you're you're, you're going to be looking at a situation where. At least, given given Joel Embiid's performance, uh, mm. now the injuries obviously, you know, we've always said it's, it's a huge wild card. But at this point in time, you're looking at a situation where if Ben Simmons is the player that everybody thinks he can be, and who knows how how much better Dario Saric keeps on getting, y- you could be in a situation where even without Noel, you have three, two definite max contract guys, and maybe even a third. All yeah, in, in in a perfect world, but you've just had Ben Simmons miss an entire season with with a foot injury that has a relatively high recurrence rate, and you've had Joel Embiid now, who's going to end up playing 31 games over his first three seasons in the NBA. I don't know that. Um, you, yeah, you you would assume that Embiid is a max contract player if he's healthy, but the. The, the the health questions become that much greater. But you have now to you have to plan on that. You can't like the worst the worst thing that they could have done. And I, this is actually me putting my Sam Hinkie cap on. Hinkie cap on. Now I think I think the thing about Hinkie that that the Sixers ownership underestimated uh, and people aren't giving enough credit to, you know, when they apologize for for Brian Colangelo is that Sam Hinkie would have seen all this stuff we're talking about ahead of time and understood mm. that he needed to trade Nerlens Noel. A year ago, but the problem is, then everybody would have had a conniption for all of the reasons Brian Colangelo stated that he did not trade Nerlens Noel. Everybody would have said, "Oh, how are you going to trade Noel and not Okafor?" And Bede hasn't even played a game yet. You know, like it's uh, whatever. He was, he was, he's the victim of his own genius. But, but if he had somehow, if the situations were reversed, and Sam Hinkie was named general manager of the 76ers the day before the Sixers traded Nerlens Noel, I have no doubt. He would have traded Nerlens Noel because 
because you 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 cannot. The worst thing you could Sam Hinkie was all about preserving flexibility to build the best possible roster given their resources, and with Embiid and the way Sarge has played. I mean, so keep in mind Sarge is a very new variable to this whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so with Sarge, Simmons, and Embiid, you've got three power forwards slash centers, and then you have Rashawn. Like, are we even sure Rashawn Holmes isn't going to be? as good or better than no Noel, Orleans Noel? Oh, no, we're not sure about that. Okay. We're not well, sure Then that factors, that. In, that factors the equation. So, to me, the worst thing you could do, you know, given all the information you have at your disposal and, and the deadline you have to make a decision on this, the worst thing you could do is sign a contract that puts you in a situation where in 2021, 2020-2021 or 2019-20, you're having to pass on a marquee free agent who who would sign with you and who would put you over the top towards an NBA championship because you have that Nerlens Noel contract on your books. The Nerlens Noel the Nerlens Noel contract you're talking about is the kind of contract Sam Hinkie built this team vulturing. Do you know what I'm saying? Like that's like teams sign these contracts and they're like, "Oh, we're plenty under the cap now." Then all of a sudden it gets to year 4 and they're like, "Ah, oh, you know, this is really going to hamstring us." Yeah, I understand all that, but I think you're short shrifting the variables, the, 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 the higher risk. Number one, I think, I think, I, I would think that Hinky would have dealt Okafor before he dealt Noel. I think, I think he would have dealt whichever one got, got him the highest return. No, Okafor still has three, two years to, imp- to, to improve his value. I, I'll give credit to that. Uh, you know, I'll give credit to Colangelo for that. For holding on to Okafor? I mean, He's got more. Okafor has more of a chance of improving his value than Nerlens Noel does. I don't know about that. You don't know about that, Mike. Teams do not. Teams do not jack up the price. The more a the more a player is paid. Once a guy has a four year, seventy million dollar contract, you, unless Nerlens Noel suddenly becomes a different player than he's been all these years, his market value obviously goes down. Well, number one, I think. I think Maryland's Noel can change his value. You do, well, he given has he ha- an opportunity. Number one, given an opportunity to play more minutes, um, you know, and and I mean, I think he's gonna he's gonna show his value and what he might be worth, um, given what's gonna happen in Dallas. Number two, I'm not sure that Okafor, as we've discussed before, uh, is going to improve his value that much. I'm not either, but he's at least got a chance. A guy who a guy who's going to sign a, a hefty contract this offseason does not have a chance unless unless he suddenly explodes in his fourth year in the NBA I just don't think he has a chance all of a sudden he's saddled with that contract and that contract is limiting whatever the value of whatever improvement he shows yeah I mean I see where I see where you're coming at this I think though my, my feeling is just on Noel and Okafor as players that the potential for growth in Noel is is Actually, kind of much greater than with Okafor, given uh, the the strengths, the respective strengths of the of the players, and more importantly, the respective weaknesses. I agree. I, mean, I agree, but that's we're, that's arguing in a vacuum about a player. We're talking about the market that was confronting the Sixers uh, at the trade deadline. And mm-hmm. like, what is there? Do you think Nerlens Noel resigns with the Sixers if they offer him the most money? I'm not sure, um, but they could match anything that he gets offered. So, why not resign him? Um, because I don't get the sense that he would. Res- why would he resign? Why would he resign 
to be in the situation that same situation that he complained about all summer. Because they have the opportunity to no, well, I mean, you don't know what he's thinking. Like clearly, he would rather start. Any player would rather start. But they had the right to match. And what, once you, you know, if you're able to sign him, and then, um, you know, I still think you could have moved him given what we agree the market contract would have been for him if it's four years, $70 million. But why, um, I just don't understand how the market's going to change. It, it, the market is what it was. I don't understand how it's going to change. I mean, we're talking about a span of a year, and the only thing that's going to change about the market is that New Orleans Noel is a lot more expensive than he used to be. Look, I, I think, but see, I disagree. I think, I I think, think the, uh, he doesn't need to explode over the final weeks of the season to improve his value. I mean, I don't, I don't know that Jaleel Okafor, for instance, is going to um, – I'm not sure that the increased playing time is going to uh, – that, that Jaleel Okafor is going to get over these final weeks. Um, you know, I don't know that he needs to explode or tank to tell people um, – how can I put this? I, I think the likelihood, given their, style, their respective strengths, weaknesses, and style of play, suggests to me – that if the Sixers, if you play, if you if the Sixers have held, have held on to Okafor, we're going to watch Okafor play the rest of the season. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure that Jaleel Okafor is is capable of doing anything that is going to show other teams around the NBA enough that he would increase his value. No, but okay? I, but he there was no pr- his value is not going to plummet once the season ends as Noel's will. I'm not sure Noel. I see. I disagree. He becomes a free agent. I you think. Can... I I think I'm not suggesting Noel. I think Noel had a greater had a greater potential to increase his value. I understand what you're talking about with respect to to lowering his value by paying him, but um, you know a, a team that acquires him at the trade deadline is going to pay him anyway, correct? Right. So the you only- know the Mavericks are going to sign him to roughly the same dollar figure that the Sixers would have signed him for, correct? Great. Okay. So he's going to get the money one way or another. So why would the Mavericks, if if Noel plays the rest of the year and plays well enough to show, but you're making hey, my argument for me. Like, why would the Mavericks pay more than what they they valued that at now? The only way is if Noel. Like you're just counting on a lot of again. We're not talking. There's there's no certainty here. But what I'm saying is, the Mavericks had Noel pegged at a certain value, and mm-hmm. and the, and you know pr- the contract that they might eventually give to him was probably priced into that. You're, t- you're saying that if the Sixers would have held on to him, hoped that he resigned, then essentially made a $70 million gamble that he would improve, that the Mavericks would improve their offer on. I don't know. It just doesn't make a lot no, of economic I'm, yeah, sense No, I'm, I'm saying that, there's, there's, that you, you could gamble. Number one. It's a lot of money you know, to gamble with. I understand it's a lot of money. And like, what are we? But, also, what are we? What are have, we expecting? Nolan's Noel have to be a, worth? A it's still Nolan's Noel. Two prospective franchise players who, you know, you don't know when they're playing again, and, you know, if you're just gonna if you're gonna trade Nolan's Noel for you know a couple second round picks basically and a and a backup wing player, um, you know, is that as much value as potentially re, as re-signing him, holding on to him if Embiid and Simmons are healthy, then great. Then, you know, at that point, I would say, okay, maybe get pennies on the dollar for them. You know, if you, if you have to trade Noel at that point, 
and you don't get as much form, well, at least you have Embiid and Simmons. But right now you don't know whether you have Embiid and Simmons or not. And so what is, is the greater so value? So if you don't have Embiid and Simmons, in, the whole thing's in getting no whatever Noel they can get from Nerlens Noel now or hope, re-signing him if he's willing to do it, holding on to him, and then you could trade him in the middle of the next season. You know, you could trade him a season after that. Yeah. And, yes, I understand his value may decline, but by then you would also know whether you have Embiid and Simmons for the long haul. Uh, well, first of all, I think we should take Simmons out of this because if they don't, if like Simmons never ends up playing for this team, then Nerlens Noel ain't saving this franchise, and they're not. They shouldn't sign him anyway. Uh, you know, then you're back to square one. So Embiid, there's the argument, but again, I, I also look Sarich. I, I just don't know that the probabilities are on the side of Noel being in a role appreciably different than the one he's been in the last couple of years, especially with Sarich developing the way he has and with Simmons, you know, potentially coming back. His role, his role is, there's, there's only going to be so much room on the court, even if Embiid is out. Noel is still, uh, I don't know. I think he's still the same guy, but he gets more minutes, I guess, but I don't know. I again, it, it could happen. I definitely see the possibility, but mm-hmm. I think Brian Colangelo made the right decision. Now, here's the question: When would would when would what would Sam Hinkie have done? Uh, you know, going back to when he was replaced, like what what would this team look like now if Sam Hinkie was still in charge? I, you know, I've been talking about this with with guys down here. I don't have any idea. I really don't. Um, I mean, I'd always maintained that. This was going to be the season that, the, you know, and I think you agreed with this. This was going to be the season that the tanking would stop mm-hmm. because <laughs> you had, um, you were going to get the number one pick, you know, go back to last offseason. You were going to get the number one pick with Simmons. You could have had as many as four first round picks. You ended up with two, I guess, two or three. I forget now off the top of my head. Um, but Embiid was coming back healthy. You know, presumably Okafor was coming back healthy. Um, you know, this was going to be the the moving forward phase. You were not going to lose games for the sake of losing games necessarily. Um, You know, I think that, I I think the dynamic changed once Embiid got hurt, you know, suffered the two knee injuries, you know, Simmons gets hurt, he's not around. I I don't know. That gets back to what I said earlier in the podcast, that I think he was very adept at not revealing, you know, what he was thinking and what he was doing in the moment. So, you know, I don't know what what would have Sam what would Sam Hickey have done? I, I don't know. Um, you know, I, I I'm not even sure any of us could speculate. You know, um, you know, the, to me the pick of Okafor, in a way, stands out. You know, as as maybe the most mysterious thing of all. Like, did they evaluate him as the number three overall pick in the draft and just miss on him? Were they did they have reservations about taking Porzingis with that pick because? Um, they didn't want to be perceived as kicking the can down the road because at the time, you know, Porzingis was perceived to be more of a project than, than Okafor. I don't know. Um, you know, I, yeah, I, 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 to answer your question. I, I think the know. only mystery about the Okafor pick, is, I think that's sheer, sheer revisionism revisionism to project. Um, I mean, Okafor was widely regarded as the safe pick there. Right, uh, you right. know, You knew what he was, and, you know, maybe you were hoping that he would – have a little more spunk and and develop a little you know develop some of that the weak his weaknesses were what they were 
His strengths were what they were. Both of those remain the same. And I guess y- you were drafting him knowing that, knowing that, you know, worst comes to worst, you were going to get a 18 and 10 kind of guy. Although right. I'm not sure the 10. <laughs> he certainly doesn't look like the 10 kind of guy all the time. No, he doesn't look like the 10 kind of um, guy. But then and, you, you know, you were uh, hoping like the All Star break, their defense, you know, with him playing right. all these minutes, not exactly but, but, protecting the rim. But let's Baker. let's remember. I mean, everybody remembers watching the ESPN reaction to the Porzingis pick. Sure, sure, absolutely. So like, yeah, no, I don't, I don't, I don't think there's anything they, mysterious about it at all. Right, I'm not suggesting that. Uh, I mean, it's a miss only in this from the standpoint of Porzingis seems to be on track to be yeah. a better player now, but exactly. at the time. You're right, and I, you know, I'm, I'm not arguing that 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 um, you know, if the Sixers had taken Porzingis there um, and not Okafor, they would have been crushed for it, of course. Um, you know, and they would have not only would they have been crushed, but the conventional wisdom would have been, how can you pass on Jaleel Okafor for this kid? Um, you know, I I, I I totally get that, but but to get back to your question, I don't know what Hinky would have done. Nobody knew he was going to trade Michael Carter Williams at the deadline in 2015. Um, no, but in hindsight, it makes perfect sense. I mean that's that was the smart move, right? Yeah. It was the smart but most, move. But, my, but most general managers no, but don't have. my point is, the... my point is, nobody nobody knew what he, that he was thinking it at the time. Right. And so to then speculate about what he would have done since then, um, I don't know. Like I'm not sure we can make that jump. So well then, what, then what is the? Mis- okay, I got you. I, I think we're on the same page. I just. I think there's been a little pendulum swing, similarly on the political stage, where, you know, Guy X had been getting raked over the coals for three years, and now all of a sudden it swung mm-hmm. to the point where his replacement, anything he does, is going to be inexcusable. Uh, and, yeah, I, you know, I I don't think Brian Colangelo, he does not strike me as a guy who's as smart as Sam Hinkie. I think he... You know, no no person. I don't trust people who say a lot of words without saying anything. Uh, I'd rather you just say nothing at all. Right. And he's kind of one of those guys. And, and and the stuff he does say sometimes doesn't make a whole heck of a lot of sense. He he strikes me as a guy who who is very adept at winning the boardroom and winning the press yes. conference. Yes. Uh, yeah. But those people aren't always the kinds of. Most of those people need need a chief of staff who's really smart underneath them. And I'm not sure. Mm. Uh, you know, they need like a Sam Hankey. So in that right, sense, right. I don't think this organization is in, a, is, in a, is in nearly as good a hands as it was under Sam Hankey. That being said, I also think that I, I don't know what people were expecting Brian Colangelo to be able to get for Nerland's Noel, who, first of all, it's Nerland's Noel. Like, he's not – like I've, I think the city has long overvalued Nerland's Noel. I mean, I think he's a very important player. Like, I, th- I think he can be a very good player on a very good th- – Put it this way, I think he can play a very big role on a very good team, but he's not the kind of guy that people sell out for. Um, you know, like he's not a dominant offensive player. There's a reason why he was a backup. Uh, mm-hmm. he's, he's got glaring weaknesses in his offensive game, and he was three months away from becoming a f- free agent and being able to leave the Sixers on his own accord. Like, the Sixers just had no leverage whatsoever. Um, I mean, I would be curious. Would they have? Here's a here's a question. If they had received the offer they were looking for for Julio Okafor, do you think they still would have traded Nerlens Noel for this package? I think it's possible. Yeah, I, I don't think, think they would too, because I think it's, it was the only move to make. Well, I, I think you're looking at it a little bit differently, though. If I'm having been around the team, I also think that Colangelo, quite frankly, didn't like 
I mean, it sounds terrible to say, but I don't think he, he liked Nerlens very much. I don't think he appreciated Nerlens speaking out uh, in training camp. Um, you know, he, he was quick to kind of smack him down. We um, should have, because Nerlens Noel was drastically overestimating his own. I mean, Nerlens Noel was not, has not been this, like, 20 and 10 guy just wait, just, you know, sitting on the bench waiting for his chance. He is who he is, and he's a good role mm-hmm. player, but he's like Tristan, yeah, but he wasn't, Tristan Thompson. He, he wasn't you know? wrong in what he said, and the idea that you trade a guy in part just because I he, don't think that was – I don't think they traded him because of that. I think that's – I think I, I kind of do. I kind of think that was a factor based on um, talking to people around the team. Um, well, then they're, they're, the people you're talking to are really, really stupid because the, this was a sheer economic move based on the market. It was the only move that makes sense. It does not make sense to hang on a Nerlens Noel for the next three months and then, you know, either have to match a four-year, $70 million deal or let him walk. It's just like neither one of those made sense. Well, I'm telling you how people I've talked to around the team um, have said, are telling me about how Colangelo felt about Oh, I Nerlens. believe he felt that way. But I okay. also I, I think that's irrespective of trading him. I mean, I... Nerlens Noel was always the guy I would have traded. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, 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 I'm not. I was never opposed to trading him per se. I have, um, you know, I have an issue with what they got in the return. I have an issue with them not doing it earlier. Um, so now, you know, you- and I feel the same way about Okafor. And to get back to your question about, you know, the, what would Sam Hinkie have done? Um, you know, I wonder how much that night in Boston. Um, that you know, Okafor got in the in the Thanksgiving night brawl there on the street, compromised what he might have done. Um, you know, it was it was clearly kind of the, you know, lighting the 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 um, fuse of dynamite that blew everything up for Sam Hinkie the way he handled that. But I also wonder if, you know, to get back to kind of the Michael Carter Williams example, if if Hinkie had not lost his job and Okafor had not had the incident in Boston. Would Hinky have been willing to move on from Okafor um, earlier because the market would have been better? You know, not all. You know, that Okafor would have been perceived as a troublemaker, um, and so therefore, it would have been easier for Hinky to have treated him in the same way he did Carter Williams. Like his market value is high. We're not sure how much better he's going to get. Um, we know he can't play defense, but right now he's scoring at a you know right. what, very high what, rate. What exact juncture are we talking about? I'm talking about his rookie season. Oh, so you're saying he would, like, okay. Yeah, I mean, I, just, I wonder about that. I wonder about mm-hmm. that part of it, you know. And, again, it, circumstances change. You know, he gets yeah, in the I mean, fight. Hickey, Hickey doesn't get, you know, Hickey doesn't keep his job. Okafor ends up suffering the knee injury. Um, but, you know, I'm just, I wonder about that. About I mean, I think, I think Hickey, I think his, his philosophy was very, very basic, and that was bring me an offer that knocks my socks off and I'll trade anybody. Uh, and so, yeah, you know, I, and I think that Brian Colangelo is probably missing that. I think he does. I don't know that Brian Colangelo has the, um, stones necessarily to tra- even trade a Michael Carter Williams at that point in time. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, I think, I think he's very ba- basketball establishment and likes to sell, you know, even if he knows his team is not a contender to sell that, Do you know what I'm saying? Like, I think he, like, I think he would be the kind of guy who trades for a Julio Okafor or a Michael Carter-Williams. Um, but I think, you know, I, it's just hard. 
and I don't know. It, it, it projecting markets is so hard, but we're you know we're talking about a guy like Jaleel Okafor's value was what it was in the NBA draft, and then I don't know was was he all that different of a player his rookie year than people expected at the draft? You know, at the draft, I mean, were people clamoring for Jaleel Okafor? You know, after four months of him playing in the NBA, did their did their opinions? dramatically changed no, based on what they would seen. No, but my point is that if it, was he much different from the player they anticipated he would be? No. But by then, um, he had had the incident in Boston. Now there's this question of, you know, how mature is he really? Is he a troublemaker? That sort of thing. Um, and then there's, pardon me, then there's Hinky, you know, getting forced out and forced into resigning. And all of a sudden you have a, a front office that, you know, clearly is there's no chance now that you're going to move the one guy who, you know, you got in the draft and is actually playing and putting up good numbers and, you know, ostensibly seems to have some potential. So here's, um, here's the other thing about Okafor, because I've been playing, kicking this around in my mind, and it's more of a thought experiment at this point, but tell me what you think. Let's say you, you being the Sixers, think that there is a statistically significant possibility that Joel Embiid, we've already seen the best of Joel Embiid, and he's going to be hurt, uh, if not this injury, for another one and and you need to have a plan b for that scenario is does it make sense could could a a basketball team built around okafor as your low post scorer and simmons as simmons uh could that team be more viable than one that would have just had Nerlens Noel as the center? Uh, I, I guess what I'm saying is, could could you have Okafor on the court and then get a you know, kind of the inverse of No? I mean, Okafor is kind of the inverse of Noel. Right. So even if you kept Noel, you would still need to make up his his offense somewhere. With o- would it make sense is Okafor the better replacement for Embiid if he could be paired with you know a power forward who can play defense? Um, given the fact that you now have Simmons as another. Is there any validity to that? Do you know what I, I mean? I don't Do you know. even I mean, know what I, I'm asking? I, I think he's so poor defensively that um, I would really have that in question. And I'm not sure how good defensively – who else are you putting on the floor? I don't know. Who's going to be that – like, is Sarge going to be that good defensively that he can help protect the rim? Is Simmons going to be that good defensively? Well, so then here's my uh, next question. If you think Julio Okafor is that bad – why do you, why do you think that there should be a market for him? I'm, I don't think there should be a market for him. Why do you I'm think there ever was a market? I, for I would him. have had I would have had less of a problem with them getting the deal that they got, uh, or or even less than that for uh, for Okafor than I did for Noel. I would trade Okafor for pennies on the dollar. Even if Noel really even if Noel signed somewhere else this off season. I I would have not if Noel. I mean, look, we don't know exactly what. If there was no chance, look, this clearly changes if, if Nerlens Noel stomps in Brian Colangelo's office and says, there is absolutely no way I am re-signing with you under any circumstances. And you think, okay. that's, you think that's a far-fetched possibility? I'm not, sure it's, I'm not sure it's true. Is it far-fetched? No, but I'm not and sure given it's what he's already accurate said? either. You know, I'm not sure it's 100% accurate. And so not knowing that i'm going to say if it's possible for them to re-sign noel given that they could match any offer that a team made to him that i would move okafor out of there because whatever minutes you have whatever minutes you have to if you have okafor in your roster whatever minutes you play him you 
you're costing minutes for one of the other big guys who probably help you more, whether it's Rashawn Holmes, Joel Embiid, or an Erlens Noel. But that's my point. Um, is I mean, I put, if Embiid, way, if Embiid is still a question, out of those four. But I, that, but that's but you're on the one, out of one side of the mouth. You're assuming Joel Embiid is not playing, and now you're assuming he is playing. No, I'm not assuming. I would I would even if Joel Embiid is not playing, I would keep Nerlens Noel and or Rashawn Holmes before I keep Julia Okafor. Right, but that's not the question. The question is, would you give Nerlens Noel seventy million dollars over four years? A guy who could adamantly make it clear that he does not want you to match that contract, even if you think it would be a wise idea. I mean, put it this way. The, the Sixers had clearly already decided that they weren't going to pay Noel what they think he's going to get on the open market, or else they, they probably wouldn't have traded him. Right. I agree. I'm, not, I'm saying I'm not sure how – I'm not assuming that that is because New Orleans Noel, under no circumstances, wanted to be here. I'm saying it's – from what I've – from people I've talked to, they just – they were not going to match him because they didn't want him here. At least Which is part a of smart it. move to me. Okay. I don't think. I mean, I'm not sure how smart it is. We'll see. Already, okay, so you want to be in a situation where you could have to tell a guy we can't sign you because we have no, we have we have a couple years left in Nerlens Noel. I mean, keep in mind you're still getting these p- potentially two top five draft picks this year. You're yeah. going to have to pay all these guys at some point. And yeah, you the, are. And the way, te- and the way teams get into trouble is by paying guys. Like it's even stupider from the Sixers standpoint because, at least from other teams' standpoint, you're paying them knowing that they're going to depreciate, but you need them now. Whereas the Sixers don't even need them now. You're, you're paying him hoping that, you know, in two or, three year, you know, two or three years when you're ready to get a title, he's worth $15 million a year. It just, it just from, there's, like, no perspective that it makes sense from to me. Uh, anyway. Even, even given how low they are and how, how little they are over the cap, you're that concerned at this point, and I know what you're saying. I like, mean, if you, you know, look at the numbers down the road, yes, they will be well. If they pay Nolan's Noel and Ben Simmons Angel, and uh, Joel Embiid and Dario Sark, they will already be over the cap. So, under no circumstances could, was there any way you could have signed Noel and then dealt him? Yeah, I think the, the pro- I just think the, the probability is very low, and it's a huge risk. And most, I, I don't think there's a lot of companies that would take a seventy million dollar liability on their books on the 20% chance that they can maybe get a little more on the open market than what they're getting now. Like, it just doesn't I, – I, I'm not sure that I – don't, I don't think Sam Hinkie's algorithms would add those up that way either. I mean, look, I think there's two different issues here, and, and as is often the case, we're conflating them. I, I think Noel can be – it's a lot like Andre Iguodala, where I always, I always respected Andre Iguodala's game – but he wasn't a max contract guy, and signing him mm-hmm. to a max contract killed this team because you can't build a team around Andre Iguodala as your centerpiece. And I'm surprised that Sixers fans haven't learned a lesson from that because I think they're actually very similar players in, in terms of role. Like, I think Noel is the kind of guy mm-hmm. that you plug into a Golden State team as the you know fourth or fifth guy or the first guy off the bench, and, and, it, and he's hugely valuable in that role. But for a team like the Sixers... That does not. That is not worth four years and seventy million dollars. Whereas, you know, maybe to the Mavericks it is worth four years and seventy million dollars. Maybe to Golden State, like Andre Iguodala was worth his contract to the Warriors, but he wasn't with the Sixers. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I feel you. Anyway, feel you. what what are the Eagles going to do in free agency? Do you think? What should they do? What should they do? Um, that's a good question. I think, as we've kicked around before, I think, you know, a not giving max money to a wide receiver, I would I would not have I would be surprised. 
I don't know if I'd be surprised that they, whether they did that or not. I'm not sure they should. Um, that that's not a position that I'm a unless you're getting, you know, Julio Jones and you know you're getting Julio Jones. I'm not sure that's a that's a position you need to uh, break the bank for. Um, and you know, I think running back becomes an interesting question now. Um, you know, it kind of always was, but um, you know, there's this scuttlebutt about Jamal Charles, and I, you know, I don't I'm not sure how I feel about that about how whether signing a guy like that, um, you know, who presumably could in theory help you now. Um, you know, is is the smart thing to do, um, given that, you know, on the one hand, they seem to be kind of, you know, trying to build for the future and trying to get players who will, quote-unquote, grow with Carson Wentz, um, and, you know, the, the need to improve a position that was a weakness. Um, I think I mean, the Jamal Charles thing is interesting to me because everything you just said about him could be said about Darren Sproles, and the, and the right. Eagles could save $4 million by cutting Darren Sproles. So... You know, there could be an either or kind of scenario where, you know, maybe they'd rather maybe they think Jamal Charles gives them more upside than Darren Sproles or, you know, Darren Sproles would like to play for a contender. And, you know, I, I don't know. I, I I'm interested, but I also think that, like you said, the kind of running backs they should be in the market for. Put it this way, I think it's almost self-evident that a team that is closer to contention will value Jamal Charles sure, at a dollar figure higher than the one the Eagles should value him at. Do you know what I'm saying? Yep. Um, yep. No, I get it. And, you know, but, and then the flip side of that, of course, is, you know, are they going to, you know, do they have to draft another running back? And if so, do they draft the right one? I mean, you know, they took a shot at Wendell Smallwood last year, and um, I'm not a tremendously big fan no. of them. Um, Columbus took a know, shot. It, what's that? I said Columbus took a chance. Yeah. <laughs> Um, that was Charlie. You know, Charlie I mean, they, 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 yeah, but this was not Columbus a fifth took round a chance. pick, I guess. So they they, they took a whirl on him, and and he's. Eh. Um, I do think it's. So, I think you picked up on on in your uh, opening monologue there. I think the central theme of this Eagles offseason, and it's going to be very interesting to see which way they go because they're they're essentially going to have to tell us if they think they can contend this year, or right. if they're building for two or three years down the road because. They have a limited amount of dollars to spend, and it would be foolish for them to hamstring themselves, you know, say three years down the line um, in the interest of – it would be foolish for them to backload contracts just to get somebody in here for this year. Right. Um, and and I mean, there's just like, – like take A.J. Boye, who's a guy I like a lot, probably going to be the top corner. I, I think they need a cornerback. If I was trying to improve this team, I would start at cornerback – um, and I know it's a good cornerback draft, but I think that you treat free agency and the draft far separately because let's say Leonard Fournette falls to you, you know, all of a sudden you might not be taking a cornerback, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And let's not even start with their history of second round and below cornerbacks. Um, right. Eric Rowe, Curtis Marsh, Jaquan Jarrett, although he was a safety. Um, you can't plan on, you can't plan on filling immediate needs through the draft, put it that way. And And anybody who suggests that is just, they're not paying attention. Um, I mean, Antonio Brown caught like 10 passes his first year in the NFL. Right. Anyway, like an A.J. Boye, I think if you if they legitimately think that this team can compete for a Super Bowl within the next three years, he would be a guy I would target. And if I was going to spend big money on a position, that would be the position. Mm-hmm. But if they think their window is more you know, three to five years from now, um, 
you know, then it doesn't make sense to sign a guy. To it really doesn't right. make sense to sign anybody to big money. You know. Um, yeah, that's right. Now, but then again, that that gets back to, um, you know, in a way, how do you view the NFL? Um, you know, that can you strike quickly? You know, we've talked about that before about, you know, it doesn't take long to rebuild. Now they're in a particularly tough spot and maybe because they're so, you know, far up against the cap and would need to, you know, let players go or have players take pay cuts and all that kind of stuff. But, um, you're right. I mean, we're going to get an idea of how they view things, whether they really view this as a rebuilding project. And a lot of that is going to come down to, I think, too, how Carson Wentz plays next season. Um, you know, does he take a step forward such that, you know, oh, okay, th- this guy is an elite quarterback, or, oh, okay, maybe he's not an elite quarterback, maybe he's just a pretty good quarterback, and so these are the things we need to, you know, he's going to need help in this spot, and we're going to need help in that spot, and that sort of thing. Yeah, I mean, I think that, look, I – I don't think that you know, there's. I mean, if he's Aaron, let's put it this way: if he's Aaron Rodgers, and I know the chances of that are are slim, but if he, you know, comes out next season and shows that hey, it doesn't matter, you can put, you know, three piles of cow dung on the outside, and I'll make it work uh, because I'm just that good. That's one thing. If he comes out and says, okay, you know, he's he's continuing trending upward, but he's going to need more help throughout the team, then that's something else. Well, I th- I would argue Aaron Rodgers needs more help. He's only been to one Super Bowl, and he's Aaron right. Rodgers. Um, I think that the def- look look at it this way. I, I, I'm taking the Seattle Seahawks, you know, view where it, if you would ask them, you know, the year they drafted Russell Wilson, if they were a contender, people probably would have said no. Their offense, you know, their offense is nowhere close to being able to uh, contend. But I think what we've seen out of Denver and Seattle is that you can build a defense that makes your quarterback better. And I think they're put this way. I think they're closer to fielding a dominant unit on the defensive side of the ball than they are on the offensive side of the ball. I think that honestly, I think that the way their offense looked last year, if they had the Seattle Seahawks defense of 2012, that might have been enough. Yeah, I mean, and for I mean, I, I I don't think the Seahawks. I think the Seahawks offense is better than the Eagles offense. But no, but, but I'm saying into the but but but. That's not what I that actually yeah, comparison. I, I, I see what you're saying. I, I said do. I think the Eagles I and that Seahawks offense was not good. Um they were not particularly good Russell Wilson's first couple of years. Um I mean they've never been a dominant offense. I mean they had no wide receivers until Doug Baldwin developed. Um but but regardless, that's getting off getting off track. All I'm saying yeah. is that look, if you ha- I don't know how far away this defense is and i think that a shutdown corner is the kind of thing that can exponentially make the entire unit better um Mm -hmm. but i also think that they need one of those or else they're they're going to be stuck in mediocrity and i don't think it precludes them from drafting one but i'm just saying if i'm allocate in my allocation of resources i think cornerback will those dollars will take you further will take this team further in a wins total than wide receiver. I mean, again, like, look, I I went back and I looked at all the wide receivers signed since pretty much. Um, uh, why am I blanking on uh, not Plaxico Burst? Uh, Santonio Holmes. The Jets signed mm-hmm. Santonio Holmes in 2011, right. and since then, there's been one. Jeremy Macklin is the only free agent wide receiver to sign for 11 or more million dollars that has won more than one playoff game in in a postseason. 
Um, the dollars just don't go real far at the wideout position for whatever reason. I mean, I'm not saying, look, if Terrell Owens is out there again, I, I sign him. Mm-hmm. But I think it's a position where historically you can find value. You know, the Broncos found it in Emmanuel Sanders. The Patriots found it in Danny Am- Amendola. Um, I think the cornerback spot, the Patriots also si- gave big money to Del Rivas to keep the lead. Um, you know, Josh Norman didn't necessarily pay off for the Redskins last year, but I, I think you get more per snap uh, utility out of the cornerback position than you do out of the wide receiver position. Yeah, you probably do because it, it the, the trickle down effect for the defense is greater. It allows you, um, you know, it, it just it is. You know, go back and look at the Jets defense and in 09 and 2010 when Revis is at his peak and what it allowed them to do uh, defensively. I mean, you know, you can say there's something similar for an offense with an elite wide receiver, but if you don't, if you can't block, <laughs> you know, at the point of attack, if you can't, if your offensive line is deficient and your quarterback can't get the ball out or find the guy, then you're, uh, then you're SOL um, in a way you aren't with a shutdown corner. I buy that. So what do you think of uh, Roman Quinn? You wrote about Roman Quinn on Monday, was it? Yeah, I did. I mean, you know, again, talk to, you know, teammates, talk to coaches and Pete McCannon and all that. And, um, you know, I mean, the guy, they all love, you know, the athleticism and what he can do and, and his defense and, and all that kind of stuff. The question I had, and I, and I didn't, I should have gotten into it in the column, and I really didn't, is, um, you know, by all indications, they're going to keep him at AAA this year. You know, they go out and sign Michael Saunders, they sign Howie Kendrick, they, they buttress their offense that way, and, you know, now you've got veteran bats and corner out. You know, the corner outfield spots, which were dead zones for them last year, are going to, you know, provide more offense. My question is, if your concern about Roman Quinn and not keeping him in the major leagues, even though you think he's, you know, terrifically talented, is that well, he gets hurt all the time. Well, he can get hurt in AAA just as easily as he can get hurt in the major leagues. And right. so, if why not keep him up there then? And you know, if he has to if he has to play 135 games at AAA to show you that he can get that he can stay healthy, well, then in a way you've just wasted a year in which he played 135 games and stay and stay healthy. He could have done that at the major league level. So yeah, I don't, well, uh, so here's the thing: I don't think that they're saying uh, he needs to sh- prove to us that he can stay healthy before we call him up. I think what they're saying is he needs to stay healthy long enough <laughs> so that when we do call him up. He will be ready. To, he will. He will be able to actually yeah. play and yeah, be ready probably. to go. Because, probably. like, look, R- Roman Quinn still is a very, still is very much a question mark um, offensively. I mean, last year he hit two sixty. He had a three seventy three on base percentage in fifteen games. I mean, that's clearly we saw what what his speed can bring. Uh, you know, both to the base paths and um, outfield defense. Yeah, and in defense, and and also in legging out know bunt base hits and infield singles but he's still not a necessarily a polished hitter and if you're going into your you know going into your season with Roman Quinn as your everyday as one of your everyday corner outfielders you know you've got a chance to be stuck where you were last year when you know you go into a season with Tyler Goodell as one of your corner outfielders it makes a heck of a lot more sense to you know bring in a Howie Kendrick bring in a Michael Saunders uh you know if they play well then you trade them. If right. they don't play well, well, then then it's Roman Quinn time. Um, and I think what the Phillies s- simply want out of Roman Quinn is for him to stay healthy long enough 
for them to get to Roman Quinn time because last year it was Roman Quinn time and then he got hurt. <laughs> That's true. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, I get you. I get you. Like, look, just, like you said, let's you know, it, it, if if he stays down there the whole, I mean, I don't know. Yeah, you're right. It depends on how long he stays down there, um, and and what happens with Kendrick and Saunders and whether they're able to move them or whether even Saunders, you know, in the case of Saunders, whether he does enough that they want to bring him back next year. I mean, Roman. So. Quinn, I mean, the other thing, like Roman Quinn got when Roman Quinn got hurt in the minor leagues last year too. Like he might have been up. He might have been up. I think part of when they say he needs to stay healthy, you know, part of that might have been if he had been healthy all year at Reading, he might have been up even sooner. Do you know what I'm saying? Right. Right. Uh, yeah. um, so I also think the same goes for, you know, Nick Williams. Uh, you know, Matt Klintak said that when he was talking down there, that if he had, a, you know, maybe, you know, if he had if he had done what he had done for X months, he might have been called up. By the mm-hmm. time he had that bat month, you know what I'm saying? Right. Yep. Um, yep. You know, I Quinn still you. has like, he's just got like a lot of develop. You know, he he still has a lot he can work on. Put it that way. I think I think Triple A would be good for him. You know, um, he's never played more than like 90 games in a year. Yeah. I mean, so his his Somewhere around there, his, 95 his maybe. high is 88 in Clearwater in 2014. Played yeah. at 71 at Reading last year. Um, 77 overall. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I li- look. I like Roman Quinn. Who else? Who else? Uh, who else has popped out at you down there? Not that you're. Well, I mean, you're probably going to talk about it in the next time you have Matt Breen on. But Brock Stasi has, you know, impressed everybody uh, again. I mean, it's it's hard for me to believe that they're going to keep him back in the minor leagues the way he said he had a three-run home run Tuesday yesterday. Um, you know, McCannon loves his defense. Um, you know, I mean, Tommy Joseph is there and seems to be you know, relatively entrenched as a starter, but I think Stasi, you know, is making a strong case to be a bench player. And, you know, McCann has been very high on him. So, I mean, that's, there's a guy that stood out. Um, I'm trying to think. I mean, like, I read, we, you know, we wrote about, I wrote about Scott Kingry uh, yesterday, who mm-hmm. had a terrific game yesterday. And, um, you know, obviously they're very high on his, you know, McCann kind of floated the possibility of him starting the year at AAA, but I, I would doubt that at this point. I think he's going to be back in Reading. Um but yeah, I mean that's you know those are the guys. Personally, those are the guys I'm interested in because those are, you know, what's coming. Um, you know, from a position player standpoint, yeah, they've got, you know, Ike Off and and Velasquez and Nola and these these young arms who everybody wants to see and who've already you know been up at the big league level. But um, you know, those two guys in particular, I'm I'm curious about. So who who does Brock Stasi has to have to beat out to make make a spot on this roster? Well, probably what Chris Coglin. Um, right. I'm trying to think who else would be on the bench. I'm just throwing names out there. No, Coglin uh, is Coglin is probably. I mean, it would make. S- I thought it would make sense for them, and I wrote this in the off season for them to to bring in a left-handed option at first base, um, hmm. and Stasi would certainly be that kind of guy. He would be that. Um, yeah. But at the same time, you know, Coglin is. Collins only on a minor league deal, you know. Um, right. But he's also might not be a guy that sticks around uh, to play at AAA. Yeah, exactly. He, who else? Uh, uh, you know who you know who it could be is uh, Aaron Alt. Aaron Altier. Aaron I, I Altier. think he's pretty secure. Yeah, I'm not sure that they. He uh, he hit a home run on Tuesday. Uh, not that it's going to keep him on the roster just because he hit a home run, but uh, you know, I mean, he's a very good defensive outfielder. I would think that they would keep him up as a bench player. Um, why am I struggling to? I mean, who is 
see, so we have the backup catcher one, Andres Blanco two, and then Coglin. Coglin, Altier, Stasi. Um, so who's who else is in the mix for that fifth spot? Is I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah, I'm trying to. I'm drawing a blank too. I'm I trying to. My, uh, I'm trying to think who I projected when I was doing my. Uh, <coughs> I don't have my roster in front of me. Um, I feel like there's somebody obvious that I'm missing. Yeah. Well, this makes for great podcasting. Yeah. Well, let's. Why don't <laughs> we? Why don't you know what? Let's. Uh, let's leave them wanting. Why don't you get Matt Breen on here? Let's and, leave uh, them. Let's leave them wanting more. Uh, yeah. Thanks for idea. thanks for checking in. We'll right, uh, read your column on Thursday in the Inquirer. And tune and in next week. Probably online uh, Wednesday night. All right, buddy. Talk to you. See you All next right. week, guys. Steamer.